And so, hey, I, like Tony and Z and so many others, here's what you might not know is that you are all superheroes. You really are. You really are. Let me tell you why. Because the scripture says that there is a greater one within you that is greater than any circumstance and anything that may come against you. Right? You are all superheroes. There's one inside of each and every one of us, and I'll prove it to you. Superheroes are those that, are, that dare to face challenges that dare to go above and beyond. And one thing that I know to be true about us as Christians is this, that one of the greatest enemies we all face is the urge to resist the call to share our faith. Listen closely. It happens. As Christians, sometimes we wrestle with should I, shouldn't I? What if this, what if that? We, we think about uh, what, if we're going to say what we should say or uh, what not to say. We, bring up, we, we, we wrestle with all these what if questions. What if they reject what I'm saying? What if I look stupid? What if I say the wrong thing? What if others are watching and listening? What if? Well, let me propose to you the one and only question that's most important for each and every one of us as Christians living on mission that we should wrestle with. What if they don't come to know Christ? What if they don't know Jesus? What if they don't come to know hope? What if they don't see that God has something better? What if the helpless don't discover that there is actually a hand of help, that there is a hope in the midst of a feeling of hopelessness, that no matter what your past is, there is a better future, that no matter what your story has been, his story can be your story and it will get better. What if we don't share Jesus? You know, I remember years ago, I found myself uh, out, in, we were out in the Middletown area in the middle of a, a fair by East Main Street, and uh, I, I, at that time, I was a youth pastor, and I had been training uh, the many teens that we had in, you know, street evangelism, how to share your faith, how to engage someone, you know, just kind of just randomly. And so we trained them for uh, uh, quite a while, and then the, the time came where we, we were going out into the streets, and I was like, we're going to do this. So they're all hyped up, they're all pumped up, and we, it was a great day, you know, many people came to know Christ, and I had an encounter with a particular gentleman. I was walking with some kids, and uh, we're walking by this bar on East Main Street, and there's this guy who's standing outside, and it's apparent that he was Muslim. You know, he had his kufi on, and he had these particular, this particular necklace, you know, that had, you know, an emblem on it. So, so it, was, it was obvious, you know, what his faith was. And as I'm walking by him, he noticed the T-shirt that all of us were wearing, which, <laughs> excuse me, which indicated, you know, hey, here's a Christian. And so he asked me this question. He says, do you believe in Jesus? I said, I do. He says, so do I. And I said, really? What do you believe about Jesus? And he says to me, I believe that Jesus was a prophet, that he was a prophet. And so at that moment, the Holy Spirit quickened me with a question. And I said to him, well, if Jesus was a prophet, and a prophet is one that is sent by God with a message from God to mankind, then what was the message that God gave Jesus for all of us? Now, let me tell you what happened at that moment. It got real because my man went gangster on me. He jumped up in my face. He was seething with anger. Spittles coming out of his mouth. He's cursing me out. His fists are balled up. It could have been a fight, but it wasn't going to go there. And I said, listen, brother, I mean you no offense. I'm not looking for no problems. I just wanted to ask you a question for you to consider. Think about what you believe. 
And so he kept cursing me out. I walked off, whatever, and I just prayed for him, kept moving on. Well, a while later, one of the guys, one of the adults that was with us uh, working with the teens, this guy named Joe, he, uh, he's walking by that same bar, and this guy is now inside the bar. And this guy sees Joe walking with a couple of kids, and he notices the shirt, and he tells one of his friends, go inside, the, go, go out there and tell that guy to come here. Joe walks in not knowing what to expect, and he says to him, I need you to tell me about this Jesus that you believe in. Listen, on that day, that man came to know Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Impacting people's lives by daring to introduce them to Jesus will feel like a stretch. You know why? Because it is. Hear what I'm saying. It requires us to step outside of our comfort zone, out of our personalities, out of our agendas, out of our timelines, so that we can prioritize the life and the destination of another in eternity. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you, look, if you just look at the scriptures, we are all eternal beings, whether you know Christ or not. The question is, where will you go in eternity? What, where will you end up? And so today, I'd like to speak to you on the subject, pressing through the stretch. I want to encourage you to press through the stretch. Go ahead and tell somebody, it's time to press through the stretch. Tell somebody else, press through the stretch. Look, if we're going to change the game, we're going to change the game. If we're going to truly do what the Word of God calls us to, then we must care about people so much that we don't just see them, but that we refuse to be people that walk by them without caring for them. Here, what I'm saying here, we must stretch beyond our self-interests and actually take interest in the lives of people that are far from God. We really should. And so I want us to go back to a parable that I alluded to last week. It's the parable that's uh, famously known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want us to go there for context on this particular point. Starting in Luke 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 30, it says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That tells us something. He was a Jew. And when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. This is also a Jew. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, which is also a Jew, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. The original language renders it this way. He had compassion for him. And so it goes on to say that he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. And he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. What I want us to consider here as we get started today is that this is a depiction of God's heart. This is a depiction of God's heart. 
We see here that God reaches out to those in need, those that are hurting, and he uses the most unlikely people to do it. If you just go back to biblical history and you look at these times, Jews and Samaritans were enemies. We learned a little about that last week. I encourage you, go back to our YouTube page and check it out for yourself. But uh, they, they were enemies. They had nothing to do with each other. A Jew would never extend himself to a Samaritan, and a Samaritan would never extend himself to a Jew. They had different uh, mannerisms of belief, uh, of ways of worshiping. Uh, they were in complete disagreement and at odds with each other. And what we see here is that Jesus uses the most unlikely candidate to reveal how God works. See, the Samaritan in this story isn't just some far-off, distant person from back in biblical days. The Samaritan is you and me. Because I'll tell you what, none of us qualified. And yet God is the one who qualifies those he calls. Come on, give it up for God. That's you and me. And so this Samaritan isn't unlike us. Why do I say that? Because he had to face some of the same challenges that maybe you might consider when it comes to sharing your faith. I know that for some of us, we think about the differences that we have with people. Look, we live in a world today that makes, that, that tells us you shouldn't cross certain boundaries, whether it's a spoken or unspoken rule. There's so much division in this world in this day and age. Even amongst the churches, we have Baptists, we have First Baptists, we have uh, Pentecostales, we have uh, Southern Baptists, we have Episcopalians, we have Anglicans, we have Catholics. And the last time I checked, if you look at the scripture, there is no such thing as denominations. According to the scripture, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you confess him as Lord, you are saved. That's our denomination. That's what we believe and we hold to. But listen, this man, this Samaritan, as he's passing this guy by, he probably thought to himself, man, what if this guy rejects me because I'm a Samaritan? What if he doesn't want my help? But what we see is that even if that was the case, he did not let that stop him. Why? Because he was willing to stretch past himself. He had compassion. He saw this man. And so there are circumstances that he had to press through that we might be able to relate to. Listen, they had different beliefs. This man that was hurting was a Jew. This man that helped them was a Samaritan. They believed in different manners of worship. They believed that you were supposed to worship in different locations. They had different religious rules. They also had different cultural backgrounds. They lived in a day and age where society dictated that they didn't belong together. And according to their differences, the fallen man was undeserving of the help that the Samaritan could render. And yet... Today we come across societal and cultural norms that create divides between us. That they can even keep us from reaching certain people that are far from God. But I thank God that God does not look upon men based upon their circumstances, based upon their culture, based upon their background, based upon their past, based upon their hang-ups. God looks at all men and what he sees is something that is of so much value that he would pay the highest price. And he would send the most unqualified people and qualify them. 
so that all people could know that God is near and that God is still in the business of healing, of helping, of restoring, of transforming, of renewing, of bringing life where there was once death. That's the God that we serve. And so we have to consider what can we learn from this parable. And one of the things that we learn is that people matter to God. Go ahead and tell somebody that you didn't come with. You matter to God. Tell somebody else that you didn't come with. You matter to God. Listen. The scripture says that God so loved the world. The entire world. Every single person matters to God. And this parable gives us great understanding of how God views us. Everyone that should have done something left this man for dead. They gave up on him. They wrote him off as hopeless and helpless, but not God. And here's what we see. Here's how God touched that man's life. Here's how God brought healing through a Samaritan. Let me bring that a little bit closer to home. Here's how God will do it today through you, through me, through us. We're all Samaritans. But we're not far from God. And so for the next couple of moments that I have, I want to encourage you to consider some things on pressing through the stretch so that we can reach people far from God. And I want, the first thing I want to leave you with is that we are not to try to change people. No, we're just supposed to meet them where they are. Amen. Don't try to change people. Just meet them where they are. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19 says. It says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. That word slave there is not just someone who's subjected to harsh uh, 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 labor. Uh, their, Their service isn't imposed on them. The word here for slave is bond servant. That is someone who willingly chose to subject themselves in service to another no matter what it was they wanted because they completely loved them. So it says, I have made myself a slave to everyone to to win as many as what? Possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, that's speaking of people that followed the Jewish religion, the, the, the Torah, Uh, To to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. He's simply talking about this. He's saying, I'm not free from this obligation to love people. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become how many? All things to how many? All people so that by what? All possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Watch this. That I may share in its blessings. Now get this. In many Christian circles today, we harp so much on the blessing of God upon our lives. But don't miss this, that part of that blessing is what you extend to those far from God. That's a blessing. 
We have the privilege, the honor bestowed upon us to be used by God to reach people far from God and meet them where they are. Man, that's powerful. The Apostle Paul was renowned for his success to reach people far from God. This guy went to distant lands and reached people that nobody dared to go to. But the, in these verses, we see the secret to his success. Paul says, I read again, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I might save some. There's a portion in Scripture that recalls a time where Jesus finds himself in the middle of a crowd. Maybe some, something like this. A bunch of people were there. And Jesus is teaching. And he's, he's, he's giving these people something that they've never heard of. He's giving them the truth of the gospel. He's revealing the kingdom of God to them. He's announcing to them that God is near. And everybody's captivated by this. And in this moment, he gets interrupted by a group of guys that were religious. And they come with this woman, and they toss this woman before him at his feet. And they say, Jesus, the law says that this woman who was caught in adultery in the actual act, that she should be stoned for her offense. What do you say, Jesus? Let's see, how, let's see how much God's love truly extends itself. The Bible says that Jesus bends down and he begins to write on the ground. He begins to leave an imprint in the sand and we don't know what he was writing. But whatever it was, was powerful. And as he's writing on the ground in silence, these men continue to press him. What do you say, Jesus? We're supposed to kill her. They've got stones in their hand, the scriptures reveal. And they're at the ready just waiting for him to, contra to, 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 to affirm what they know to be true according to the law. And Jesus says this. He says, he who is without sin, let him be the first one that casts the stone. The scriptures say that in that moment, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they all dropped their stones, and everyone left. And in that moment, Jesus, while still on his bended knee, looks at this woman in the eye, and he says to her, Woman, where are those who condemn you? Are there not any left? And she says, Lord, no, there's not one. He says, Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, let me, let me, let me, let, don't, don't, don't lose this train of thought. Get, stay right there. The God of all the universe... The master and creator of all creation. That, that God, Jesus, God in the form of a man, gets down on a knee and looks at a woman in her worst possible predicament. He got on her level so that he could look at her in the eye, so that he could restore her and he could lift her up to where she belonged with him. You see, if we're going to be intentional about sharing our faith, if we're going to stretch uh, uh, past ourselves, we must understand that our job is not to change people. You and I are not the Holy Spirit. I know for some of us, when, 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 we, when we talk to God, 
we like to think that God speaks in our voice. We like to hear ourselves. But I've got good news for you. Thank God that you and I don't hold that responsibility. We can't carry that weight on our own. But what we are called to do is meet people where they are. And Paul knew something about this. See, instead of trying to drag people along into a relationship with God, let me tell you what that looks like. Tú sabes, mijo, tú tienes que ir a la iglesia porque si no te vas al infierno. You're going to go to hell. Right? Spitting and snorting and trying to intimidate people into the kingdom. Do we see that in the scriptures from Jesus? We don't. He spoke the truth. And he spoke it with genuine love. And so instead of trying to drag people along into a relationship with God, why not dare to get on their level? That doesn't mean that we compromise what we believe and know to be true. But what it does mean is that we take the time, like this Samaritan, to look upon a person past where they are, past what's going on, and to see the value in them because they bear the same image of God that you do. They just don't know how near God is. Amen? And so we can meet people where they are because we know what it's like to be in need. We know what it's like to, to lack peace, to not have joy. We know what it's like to wrestle with life and try to do it on our own. But you have a story. It's his story. And so you can get on their level. And I'm telling you, get on people's level and give them hope and tell them the truth and share the love of God and dare to pray for them and dare to encourage them, dare to be someone that lifts someone up instead of tearing them down by misusing the word of God. The next point I want to leave you with is that we should keep our eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. Have you ever looked at someone or maybe you know someone today and you uh, kind of just tell yourself, man, they really need Jesus. Right? Man, they just need Jesus. Let me tell you something about that. Chances are that if you're looking at someone like that, you're looking at their need for Jesus based on what you perceive to be external messes. Right? You're looking at whatever's going on in their life and you're going, man, this person's a mess, man. Jesus, please save them. But instead of looking at them according to their messes, why not instead see the best in them? Why not see the best in them? You know, the outside circumstances, the externals are only an indication of the internals. And we need to look at people beyond what we see. We need to begin to see that people have a heart that has been misled. And we need to love them and point them back to the one that loves them most, God himself. We need to introduce them to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, do you not know that in a race, uh, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, granted, the Apostle Paul is talking about so much more than people who need Jesus here. He's talking about the life as a believer. 
And what he's saying is you are to go for the gusto. You are to run your race and go where God is leading you and do everything that God has called you and anointed you to do. Well, included in that, there's a prize. It's what you do with your faith. The Greek word here for prize refers to a victor's crown that was made of a wreath of leaves, which runners competed for in Paul's day. Now, while this was coveted by runners, it was a fleeting prize. Let me tell you why. Because those leaves eventually withered. They died away. That crown eventually decayed. But you see, we have a greater prize. Where their, where their prize withered away, where the accolades and the cheers eventually faded, we have a prize that is greater and one that doesn't fade. And it's not just what God has done in you and I. Listen, people are a prize to God. What if you saw people beyond their messes and you saw them as a prize? What if we valued people to such an extent that we saw their worth in eternity and we loved them that way and we esteemed them that way and we lifted them that way and we encouraged them that way and we treated them that way? See, while the end game for this race was the finish line, there was a greater prize. Paul reminds us that we're to live our lives on the run for a prize, that we're to go for it. When I hear this verse, I think of a relay race. I think of a relay race. And in a relay race, every person is running a leg of the race. But while they're running their leg of the race, they're conscious of the finish line, but they understand that in order to get to the finish line and win, it's not just about me running well. It's about me running well and passing it on so that someone else could begin their leg of the race and get the win. Listen closely. You carry a baton every single day. We carry this message of the gospel. Is there anyone that has been healed? Is there anyone that has been restored? Is there anyone that's alive and well? Is there anyone that is walking in blessing? Is there anyone where once you had stinking thinking, man, now you, you believe the best. You see the best. You trust in God for the best. You know that you are not finished. You know that God is working. See, you carry this daily. You carry this victory. And it's up to you and I to run this race. But to be mindful that we are to pass this on to another. Because when we pass it on to another, they can begin to run the race. And they can win too. You got to stretch. You know, there are two types of people in this world. There's the person who walks into a room and internally announces this to people. This is what they're saying to themselves, to everyone within themselves. Here I am. Here I am. Look at me. And then there's another set of people. That second type of person is a person who walks into a room and here's what they say internally and they announce to all, I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Listen, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. 
And if we have freely received this love of God, this grace of God, this blessing of God, this, this, this uh, union and relationship with God, if we freely receive it, then the Scripture reveals to us that we are to freely give it. Why? Because it, while it's, it impacts you, it's not yours to hoard. It's ours to give. It's ours to give. And so we should strive daily as children of God to recognize that while we might see some messes, God sees a prize. Now, I want to do something. I want you to take the word of God. And now, you've got to run that race. But you've got to pass that on to someone else. You've got to pass that on. You got to share this with somebody. It matters. You are equipping somebody to discover life. The next point I want to leave you with is that when your intention is clear, so is the way. Let me tell you what I mean by that. John Maxwell once said this. He said, intentional living is about living your best story. But you know what? I beg to differ with that statement. I'll tell you why. Because as Christians, intentional living is about living God's best story. And God's best story pushes us past ourselves because it's his story. And when we work within his story, guess what happens? History changes. Lives are transformed. Listen. People may have found themselves going from one generation to another in mess after mess after mess. But what people may not realize is that today is the day that that mess ends with you. Because God promises that all things can pass away and they have passed away. So behold, let me give you some good news. All things are created brand new for you, my friend. First Corinthians 9.25, the Apostle Paul says this, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last, listen to this, forever. Forever. We must be intentional and live with a focus on the eternal. We must see people past today. See, the truth is that all lives live forever. But the destination point of where those lives live, that's, that's where the difference is. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you sharing your faith can be the turning point for someone's life. You telling someone your story, what God is doing in your life, that can change the direction, the path of a life. When we came to know Christ in my household, can I tell you, we were a hot mess. Hot mess times 20. It was bad. And it all started with someone who shared their faith with my mother. And that trickled down into our family line. 
Can I tell you that today there are more of us that know Christ than those that don't? Can I tell you that God's still working in our lives? Can I tell you that when you share your faith, you're not just touching a person, you're touching a household. You're not just touching a household, you're touching children. You're not just touching children, you're touching community. You're not just touching community, you're touching cities. You're not just touching cities, you're touching nations. You're not just touching nations, you are touching the world. But like the Apostle Paul, we must understand that this takes strict training, takes discipline. Paul likens it to a competitor who undertakes strict training because he understands this is what's necessary to win. Can I tell you that sharing your faith is not a decision to be made in the moment? Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you think that I'll just wait for the opportunity and then I'll decide... It's never going to happen. I'm going to tell you why. Because you didn't undergo strict discipline. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Strict discipline here speaks of the one who, com- who prepares himself for the competition before he ever steps on the stage. I'm telling you right now that as children of God, we must daily wake up with the decision, God, I am able, I am available, I am anointed, you have transformed my life, you have called me, you tell us all to go into the world and make disciples, therefore, that means me too, and I make the decision today, Lord, give me the opportunity, show me who to speak to, God, enlighten me to a conversation that's necessary, help me see the need in someone. Help me to to, to recognize that there is someone that is in need of help, that someone that doesn't know Christ needs Christ. Help me to to, to reach them. And I'm telling you, when you make that pre-decision, you will always find yourself with decisions made for Christ because you already decided, I'm going where God's told me to. The last point I want to leave you with here today is that we should go for contact. I'll tell you what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 26, Paul says this. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No. I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. So that after I have watched this preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I want you to see what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I live with the express purpose to make contact wherever I go. Wherever I go. Wherever I go. See, he wasn't just going for the sake of preaching at people. Paul was interested in contact. I'm reminded, I believe it's Acts chapter 20, where Paul was leaving the church in Macedonia. And he gathers all the elders, all the pastors, and the scripture says that he begins to pour his heart out to them. He believes that this is the last time he'll see them. He actually turns out that it wasn't. But Paul believed that this was it. And he says to them, you know how I lived among you. How I held nothing back from you. You know what Paul was saying there? The original Greek renders it this way. He says, you know how I shared my life 
openly with you. I held nothing back from you. I gave you my all because you are worth it all. My friend, I am telling you by example from the Word of God that you, there is no plan B. Stop looking for someone else to show up. God's calling you to show up. You carry salvation power. You carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way, I am not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Don't you realize that when you share your story, when you tell of the goodness of God, when you announce to people that God is near and that God's not mad at them, that the price has been paid, that sin isn't the issue, do you realize that when you bring that message into the lives of people, power is released. Power is released. Power is released. Transformation power is released. So go for contact. You know, a boxer is no boxer who never takes a swing. A runner is no runner who never steps on the track and runs his race. A Christian is no Christian unless he or she understands this is what I'm created for. This is what I exist for. I exist to love God and honor God. And I exist to love people and share the goodness of God unto them. Is there anyone in this house today that says, I believe that with all my heart? Come on now. If you believe that, let's stand up. Let's stand as we come to a close. Thank you, sir. You know, Easter is coming. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. There are some that might say, oh, we're doing this because we're gearing up for Easter. No, 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 no. No, I want you to understand something. We're gearing up for life as Christians. But now that we're talking about Easter, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you. So last week, you see that? That's just not a three and a two there. Between people that were online and people that were in the house between both services, we had 32 people commit their life to Christ. Come on now, we can praise God for that. During our first service today, we had another seven people commit their life to Christ today. Come on now, isn't God good? That's what game changers are all about. But I'm telling you that we're not done, we're gonna be intentional. And if you call me pastor, then I need you to understand something. And as your pastor, I'm reminding you of what the Word of God says. We exist to bring salvation to those far from God. We ain't playing no games here. We need to live on mission for what God has called us to. And so this Easter, we're going to have three services. And you know, funny thing about Easter is that Easter and Christmas... That's a time where everybody and their mother says, I'll go to church. Well, here's what I'm saying to you. Bring your mama, bring your daddy, bring your brother, bring your sister, 
bring your kids, bring the cat, bring the dog, bring everything, everyone you can. Listen, we are being intentional about introducing people to this gospel, to know Christ, to find hope, to discover new life in Christ. Amen? We're changing the game. And next week, hey, there are some of you that you've accepted Christ. And there's some of you, whether you're here or you're online, and today you're making that decision. You've had a personal encounter with God. If you've made that decision for Christ, there is a next step. It's what the Bible depicts as a, a time where we make an open declaration of the decision we've made on our personal relationship with Christ. Next week, right here in this house, we're going to have water baptisms. And I'm telling you right now, it's your next step of faith, and don't walk away from it. So if you have not been water baptized, today is the day to make that decision. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till another time. Make the decision. Stop by guest services. Get signed up, and we'll see you next Sunday. We are celebrating everything that God is doing in this house. Amen? As we close today, I want you to do something with me. I want you to extend your hands. Reach as far as you can. Come on, I know you got to stretch a little, right? Some of you got some stuff cracking, right? Stretch those fingers. Stretch that back. Stretch those arms, right? Stretch those toes, right? I want you to consider something about stretching. Stretching takes us beyond what we're comfortable and what we're used to. And today, I want this to be an open declaration and a symbol before God that, God, I am available I am qualified. I am anointed. God, you said that you will fill my mouth and that you will give me the words to speak. Father, today we lift our hands in praise unto you. We declare, Lord, that we are your vessels, Lord, that we will be used by you. And so, Lord, enlighten us to the opportunities. Show us those that are in need. Fill our mouths to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the many that will come to know Christ. Come on now. We're celebrating that. And it's very possible, whether you're online or in this house, that there's someone and you've never made a decision. You've never crossed that line and said, I recognize my need for Jesus. I need God. I need God. I felt like a zero, but today I found out that I'm a hero, that I matter, that I belong, that God has good plans for my life. And so if that's you, my friend, then here's what you need to know. God loves you. It's irrelevant where you've been. It's irrelevant what you're going through. It's irrelevant what people may say about you. It's irrelevant whatever people condemn you and judge you and have passed sentence upon you. God loves you and he meets you right there at your level. And what you must know is this, that there was an issue of sin that exists for all men. But God so loved the entire world that watch what he did. He got on our level. The scripture says that he came. He came to this world. God left his throne, and he became a man. Why? Because God loves you and I so much to look us in the eye and say, let me show you how much I love you. Let me give my life for you. He died, but he also rose again. He rose again to prove that we can all rise. See, that's our story. And if you believe that with us today, my friend, then pray this with us as we close. Say this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe. 
You are the Son of God. I'm sorry, I need to pause. If you are making that decision today for the very first time, if you've been far from God, if you, if you believe you've been far from God, if you think you've stepped away from God, then I want you to do something bold, whether you're here or online. Raise your hand. Reach out to God. Come on, stretch out. Get past your comfort zone. Say this with us. Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe you love me so much that you died and you rose again to pay the price for me. Today I declare, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you are my God, and from this day forward, I have a new life because you changed the game for me. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.